the Staff and Graph podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. Inlinks are salad. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team tidy business, baby. They did it, Rachel. Like, like, what else can we say? The Leafs did it. They, uh, they did in, it. <laughs> in the time, in the time it took to raise a newborn child to adulthood, the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, uh, failed to win a playoff series, and last night they finally did it. So it's so funny that you say that because, like. My brother called me last night, and yeah. my brother is 19 for yeah. anybody who doesn't So he know. was born in, what, 2004, 2003? My brother was born uh, in October of 2003, so the last time yeah. the Leafs won a playoff series, my brother was six months old. That was his, like, birth year. <laughs> he, th- honestly, he said to me, he's like, the last time the Leafs won a playoff series, I was pooping my pants. And literally, yes. <laughs> Yeah, well, there are kids who who either there. I believe this year's draft class is the would be the first draft class of kids who weren't alive the last yeah, time. Yeah, Connor Bedard was 15 months from being born. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. His parents hadn't even done it yet. The it Leafs was, drought can vote in oh, this country. The Leafs drought can drink in this country. <laughs> yeah, it can. Like it's and it's it would be two years away from drinking in the states. Like it's it's crazy. And the Leafs finally did it, and of course they did it. In the most dramatic, um, just like I, I tweeted last night, you know, after Stamkos tied it up, um, that it was, you know, they never do it the easy way. And everyone's like, well, they never do it at all. And I'm like, yeah, but like, they never, like, this could have been easy. You know, they, they were never up do it nothing. 5 1. They never, <laughs> they never do it convincingly. It's always got to be, you know, by the skin of your teeth. You know, it's got to give people heart palpitations, but man, they did it. And you know what? It, it couldn't have been anyone but John Tavares, I think. I think he was, uh, you know, like for the captain, the guy who, I yes, it was Austin Matthews and, and, and Mitch Marner coming to the team, you know, like was the beginning of that era. But I think when, when the championship aspirations really sort of fell into place is when they signed John Tavares. That's when immediately it was like, all right, this team needs, this team can now win a Stanley Cup. Um, it's the guy who like sort of took that to that ne- took them to that next level. You know, he made the biggest free agent decision of all time, really. Uh, to you know, a guy in the middle of his prime to come home and and, and sign with his hometown team, um, and, you know, and and uh, and then become their captain, you know, and and for him to to score the goal that does it, poetic. I I feel like that's a great point. Like the core five in this series. I mean, we look at the narrative and and you and I have talked about this privately. We've talked about it on the podcast mm-hmm. seemingly every year for like who knows how long. But we we sit here and we're like, Morgan Riley's always been good in the playoffs. Like he's he's always been good in the playoffs. But it, it always seems like the least best players got consistently outplayed by the other team's best players. And for the first time, I think in this sort of era, not only did the Leafs core players outplay Tampa's core players, but probably the most shocking thing was that Ilya Samsonov outplayed potentially the best goaltender of the era and Andre Vasilevsky. If you would have told any Leafs fan in September that the Leafs season is going to come down to Ilya Samsonov outplaying Andre Vasilevsky, every single person would have said, pack it up. Just pack it up. Every single person would have said, oh, I would have assumed Matt Murray was the starter. (laughs) Also that. (laughs) Like that, that's what would have happened. And yet, boom, here you go. Like it's, yeah, there's so many improbable things that happened in this series. And, and yes, you know, for, for people in other fandoms and people in other markets, yes, we're aware this is a single playoff series. You know, it's not the Stanley cup. You know, so but just allow Leafs fans to enjoy this moment because it's been a very long time. Um, but should we like break down like we will how yes. this happened? <laughs> it was three. The Leafs are the only team in NHL history and the NHL has been around for a very, very long time. 
um, to have three overtime road victories in a single playoff series. They did. That is the most improbable. Like they did it in the most improbable way. It's actually could. kind of like, I can't even imagine Leaf fans who see all these records that get broken against them. Now get to see that record that's set in a, in a positive way. They're not the, the bud of the low light in, in this instance, they're actually the highlight. And so I think like that shouldn't go unnoticed, but like something that I think stood out um, to me kind of throughout the series. And I've got sort of a massive piece coming, but Tampa looked really tired. And I think, I mean, three long playoff runs in less than three calendar years when you're playing 10 months of hockey, which Tampa was yes. for three straight years, the attrition that is associated with that cannot be underestimated. We see like injuries. I am willing to bet that Victor Hedman has like a broken rib and a torn oh. intercostal muscle kind of thing. It, brain and, point definitely has broken ribs. Like, you know, there, this team is, uh, I'm, I'm sure Anthony Sorelli has like a broken foot. Um, Steven Samkos probably has something going on too. Like, I just think when, when your body goes through kind of what Tampa has gone through the last three odd years, at some point it, you're just, you're going to break. And it doesn't mean Tampa's not a fantastic team. I still think Tampa's a top five team in the national hockey league, but at some point rest matters. And you saw that when Michael Bunting came into the lineup in game six, he was just so much fresher than everybody else in the series. And you could tell. And Victor Hedman did not look like the Victor Hedman that we're sort of accustomed to seeing. And that's probably because somebody with broken ribs maybe shouldn't be playing 30 minutes. But it's one of those things where you do anything to win. Yeah. And so, yeah, I guess sort of let's break it down here. And, and it has to it all comes back to the core five. You know, it all comes back to the team, you know, the, the Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, John Tavares, William Nylander and Morgan Riley. And all of them came to play. All of them, point a game. all of them were over point a game. Mitch Marner has 11 points in six games. He's almost a two, two points per game. Matthews has nine points in six games. I believe Nylander has seven. He's like, got seven or eight. Yeah. Seven or eight. Um, Tavares, Morgan. I believe is close to point per game. Morgan Riley is close to point per game. Everyone. Who and Morgan needed... Riley was the Leafs' best, like, defenseman <laughs> like... in terms of, yes, he got sheltered minutes, but you find me other defensemen that, one, dominate the minutes that they're given, and two, it felt like when there was a big play to be made, Morgan Riley made that play. And Chase McCallum on Twitter had a great graph, and it's Morgan Riley's value in the regular season versus Morgan Riley's value in the playoffs, and it was over a couple of years. And this... Morgan Riley's bit he's the longest tenured leaf other than like if you count Luke Shen um you don't because he wasn't which you yeah you don't he had a Morgan pretty big Riley, gap in between it so Morgan Riley I is the only leaf left from that 2013 series and he didn't even play in it exactly and so it's one of those things where he's been a whipping boy a little bit for the fan base over the years and I think in the regular season he has deserved it but the one argument that I'm not willing to entertain or give any sort of oxygen to is that when the playoffs come around, Morgan Riley doesn't perform. If you look at the numbers, Morgan Riley year in and year out has consistently performed for the Toronto Maple Leafs in the playoffs. And it shows in the numbers. It shows just in the eye test. And so for me, for him to be kind of on the ice, get that key, um, part of that, you just saw his reaction. Like it meant something, and and so I I look at that, and yes, you know what, people might want to say he might not be worth that contract, but if you, would you rather a regular season performer or a playoff performer? Exactly, and you know what, I I got to be honest, like yeah, Morgan Riley, you know, you want to say he played sheltered minutes, he's still playing. Like he played, I remember in in game, um, I believe. I'm not sure what the ice time numbers were last night, but I saw up on the jumbotron and after game uh, uh, five, he's played, he played like 24 minutes. Like he's, he's, they're throwing him out there for everything. He has a lot of responsibility. He, and he like, this is, it's all about stepping up. 
Like the playoffs are all about unlikely heroes. And maybe not like maybe it's not super unlikely that Morgan Riley, who it's is a unlikely good that Luke Shen was a hero and he was fantastic. But holy series. smokes, like Morgan Riley last night played 23 minutes, 2301. Like, yeah. I, like even if those are all sheltered, that's still, you know, a third of the, that's an entire that's over an entire period. That's over a third of the game that Morgan Riley is out there in a game that the Leafs won. Like he's playing incredibly good hockey. Uh, he was, he was there, him and Samsonov are their series MVPs. And it's funny because if you look at Samsonov's numbers, they might not, you know, they, they, they might not sort of lend towards like his, his hero status he's, he finished at an even 900, but a lot of that, um, was an inability to sort of erase the, the, cat- the catastrophe of the first game. Um, but man, like just kudos to to everyone involved like and the one person that probably deserves a little bit more credit um is sheldon keith you know what sheldon keith uh i didn't like how he answered you after game five um i i really didn't like that um but how he answered me specifically yeah yeah but he does deserve credit for maybe it was a little late but recognizing What's going yes. on on the back end is not working. And before it's too late, it needs to be changed. And he pushed, not only did he make the change, but then in game six, instead of just rolling the lines, he figured out who was performing and rode those guys just into the ground. And that's what you need to do. You need to have that feel as a coach. You need to be able to understand who's got it tonight and who doesn't. And I thought that Sheldon Keefe did a great job with his game five to six adjustments in his lineup, but then also game six in game adjusting his minutes. John Tavares didn't play much because he didn't really have it. He didn't have a shot on net in regulation time, Mm -hmm. but Austin Matthews looked really good. Matthew Nyes looked really good. Mitch Marner looked really good. And they played the bulk of the minutes, but John Tavares still played. He obviously ends up with that memorable goal, but I think Sheldon Keefe deserves a lot of credit for pushing those buttons because we've sat here and poor Steve Dangle, but bless his heart, Mm -hmm. has podcasted about Randy Carlisle's poor bench management, Mike Babcock's poor bench management, even Sheldon Keefe's poor bench management. And for the first time, Sheldon Keefe outcoached his counterpart and he won the series. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like for the yeah, for the first time in this entire series, Sheldon Keith got the got the upper hand. And it is funny because it does usually come on the road where coaches have less uh influence over the matchups. Um right. so and sometimes uh, you know a good a good example of being good coach is getting out of your own way. Um but yeah, I was look, you could tell. So I asked Keith just straight up in in the press conference after the game. You know, Justin Hall has been on for 73% of the goals against this series. Like, why do you keep basically why do you keep going back to him um, when you have a guy like Timothy Lilligren uh, just waiting, just ready? Um, and he and the and thing Timothy is Timothy Lilligren was really good in game six. Yeah, he he if you want to talk with someone playing sheltered minutes, Timothy Lilligren played sheltered minutes, but when he was in his minutes, he did a very, very good job. And look, um, Keith likes to do the lineup blenders, but he's like any coach in that he has his guys, you know, he has his sort of his junk food, the guys that he, you know, and, and it's, it's human nature for anything for, for you to get a pre, you know, a, a predetermined sort of, um, I would uh, say a, uh, a preconceived notion as Lou Lamorello yes, would say a preconceived notion about a player. Um, and, uh, and, and it's very difficult for you to break out of that. And he clearly sees Justin Hall as like the stopper, like the shutdown guy, the good penalty killer guy. And, and he just is wasn't, a good penalty killer. He is a good penalty killer. Yes. Um, and, and on that Stamkos, uh, you know, like one timer basically to tie it up. Like I, I believe it wasn't on the power play, but still like, you know, that's a, mo- that's an area where Justin Hall likely would have shut that down. But um, he recognized the fact that this one player had been on the ice um, for almost all of the goals scored against the team. He was sinking and like in hockey, you're not like one player is not going to influence, you know, the, uh, the outcome of a game. It's just, there's just too many moving parts for that to happen for just one player um, to be the sole reason. But some, unless it's Connor McDavid, because like, that's just a yeah. separate, but even then there's a reason why like the, the Oilers yeah. haven't won the Stanley cup. Exactly. Yeah. No, so, you're right. Yeah. And, um, and so, uh, but Justin Hall was testing that pretty, pretty tough in the fact that like the Leafs, when he was on the ice, were getting outscored um, by a wide margin. When he was off, they were outscoring Tampa 18 to four and Keith to his credit recognized it. And not only did he recognize it, but he, but the balls to go back 
like, and I say the, the, like the sheer balls to go back to 11 and seven in a game of that magnitude, that's conviction. And it yep. worked and you could see the fruits of it working. Timothy Lilligren looked, I was really impressed with Eric Gustafson. He didn't make any glaring errors. He moved the puck really well. He was good on the second power play unit. Like, you know, and you take out a guy and, and it's tough too, because you take out a guy who you acquired at the trade deadline um, in Sam Lafferty, who you gave up assets for Yeah. He wasn't the, the, I would say the focal piece of that, of that deal. Obviously Jake McCabe was, who was, you know, who played a very good game um, on a, on Saturday, but you know, you take, that's a tough decision to take a guy out that you, that you, uh, that you traded in, in part a first round pick plus four. Um, but he made the choice and it ended up paying off. It worked and, really well. And that's well. the difference maker. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, so let's talk about like, you know, we, we talked about the game, you know, there's not really much else to talk about when it comes to the game. It was a two, one game, you know, they did all that, but let's talk about what this means to the city. Because if I'm not sure if if anyone listening to this was in Toronto last night, but I like was I, I was right. I, I am too. I'm right in the middle. I was right in the middle of Young and Dundas Square when um, the Raptors made the finals last year. Like when they beat the Bucks to make the finals, it was crazy. This was like I would say this is even bigger than that, and this was for the first round that we were getting last year. There were fireworks going off on residential streets. There were just to give everybody an idea who's like not from here i mean you hear mike and i complain about different things that happened in toronto but this is still a major metropolitan city and it was so chaotic last night that our major transit system completely shut down because mm-hmm. they could not manage what was going on the leafs fans shut down a major city's tr- entire transit system that did not happen when the Raptors won the championship, let alone like any round. The TTC still functioned like it was delayed, but it functioned. The TTC stopped last night. Yeah. And <laughs> like it, it, this is, you know, you're seeing videos of people hugging their grandparents and stuff like, you know, it's just that it's just awesome. Like this is my favorite was the guy who plays Anakin Skywalker in Star Wars. Yeah. Was at a fan event in Calgary. Um, he was on stage and someone from the crowd and he was wearing a Leafs hat. He's from Toronto. He's a huge fan. He's wearing a Leafs hat and someone shouted like Leafs won. And he's like, and he stops his panel like mid, mid sort of panel and just goes Leafs won. Like, yeah. And he gets up, jumps up, hugs the host. You know, it's like this, this united a lot, a lot of people, you know, my, I was like, let me, let me even just say, it's like my mom watched every game of this series or, or I would say not the first game, but I would say everything from game three on, um, like she didn't even watch games that I was a part of growing up, you know, like that I was playing in, but she watched this like, and she was giving pointers. She calls, she, she now refers to John Cooper as Mr. Cool. Um, because oh she gosh. thinks, you know, it's like, it, it got her hyped up for it. If it can get her, if it can get my mom who like detests hockey, um, hyped up for this and get anyone, it means a lot to the city. Uh, you know, so there's a thing that everyone's like, Oh, be, you know, act like you've been there before. No. They've no well, one, no one has been there generation before. Generation of people who actually haven't been there before, and so like to be the butt of jokes and all the crushing losses and the collapses and and everything. Like I said, my brother voted in the last election. <laughs> He's never seen a Leaf series win. So I understand the whole like act like you've been there before. But the the difference here is there are. All, a lot of people that haven't been there before. And so you can't really criticize them for being excited because you're, what you're seeing is, is grandparents who didn't know if they were going to get to experience this with their grandchildren. Like my grandparents never experienced a leaf playoff win with my brother and sister. And like, granted my sister doesn't love hockey, but like we oh, got to dying. experience a German world cup win which happens a lot less often than the Stanley cup playoffs. And we didn't experience a leaf playoff win together. Like that's the kind of thing that happened here. And for a city, for an original six team, and let's face it, probably one of the, like not even probably a top two revenue grossing team in the national hockey league for this to happen. It was a powder keg and it was ready to go. And so now this is where we are. And whether fans of other franchises like it or not, Sean McIndoe, down goes Brown, pointed it out. 
the Leafs doing well is good for the NHL bottom line. Don't make no mistake about it. The NHL wants the Bruins to win tonight and they want the Rangers to win on Monday because mm-hmm. that is good for the bottom line. Absolutely. You know what else is good uh, for the bottom line is a happy Rachel. Um, <laughs> because look, we, you know, it, it's, it, it's been it's been pretty clear. You've been relatively open about it, but even still, like you know, you've been you've been questioning your um, questioning your 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 love for the game. You know, just because it wasn't loving you back. You know, you've 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 had some rough shakes when it comes to to certain things in your involvement in hockey. And yeah. last night was finally a moment where it loved you back, and it was just amazing to see. Yeah, like I think. Um... For me, the last five years or so has been uh, really hard, right? And and so I, I mean, privately, and you're one of my best friends, so you, so you know this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've effectively walked away from hockey, and yeah. like, I I don't want to work in it anymore. I do this because I get to do it with my best friend, and I write about it because I kind of control my relationship with hockey, um, because for a really long time, it's been really unhealthy for me. And a lot of people close to me who know me really well have kind of said, like, the only way that they think I'm going to start to regain any like or love or passion for the game is if the team that allowed that passion to grow in the first place shows me that it's okay to like hockey again and that they will love me back. And last night, like, I just kind of cried, honestly. Like, it was, it was, it felt like for the first time in five years that I loved something that loved me back. And, like, that's, it's a really tough um, thing to explain. My brother called me, and, um, like, I've seen Bayern Munich win Champions League multiple. I've seen the Germans win the World Cup. I, like, I've seen a lot. Um, and my brother said, like, this is one of the happiest he's ever seen me. Yeah. And it's just, it's great to see. Like, and, and, you know, finally you get a hockey moment that you, that we don't, you know, shake our heads at or that we don't have to like repress and bury, you know? And, you know, like I, I'll be upfront. Like, like I used to be a Leafs fan and, you know, uh, uh, like ever since joining the, the industry, if you will, um, that, you know, there's, there is, there is an element to, you get paid to do this. So it does become a job and it doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm so lucky that I get to do it every day and specifically cover this team. Um, but just watching everyone be so happy was, was awesome. And also selfishly, I get to cover second round hockey. Now you, you don't know? have to write like doom and gloom stories. Literally. Like I, I, didn't, happy for you. I didn't know. I didn't know like, because if they had, I, I fully believe that if they had lost on Saturday, they would have lost game seven and oh my god yeah <laughs> and they're in the series and it would have been the exact column i wrote last year where this is the best leaf team we've seen arguably in my lifetime the 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 gm did you know bold moves went out there you know really sort of put it all on the line um and yet you know they were out coached and outplayed and and you know this that the other and they had a chance to close it out and they didn't and uh, they had a chance to close it out in Tampa specifically, and they didn't. And this and that and whatever. You know um, who has the passion, Mike? Who? Kyle Dubis has. Oh the my passion. god! So yeah, so so the reaction <laughs> shot that they showed of Dubis, um, in, in you know like hugging Spets and everything. My favorite part of that, and I tweeted about it, is just how genuinely terrified Brandon Pridham looks of like a frothing at the mouth, like rabid Kyle Dubis coming at him at full speed. Like, it, it, like he he like he cowers he a little bit. Look you know? like the Hulk. Yeah, and but he, he should like it. think about how much crap Kyle Dubas has taken and he adjusted. That's another guy. Sheldon Keefe, we gave a bunch of credit to. Kyle Dubas adjusted. He acquired guys like Noel Achari, Ryan O'Reilly, Jake McC- McCabe. Like he acquired those guys. And to see that, like, just it almost felt like a powder keg. Yeah. And Spezza, I mean, we know Spezza has the passion. Oh, of course. But to see that, I mean, Kyle Dubas deserves that. He does. And it's just, and just for Jason Spezza to be a part of them doing this, even if it's in a front office role, he's around the team every single day. I've seen him more than, you know, I've seen my parents over this season. 
um, just by covering the team. He's he, now he, your dad, by the way. Yeah, pretty much, I guess. He <laughs> plays a very, you know, like a very hands-on role, um, whether even just by him being around all the time. For him to be a part of this, you know, like when it looked like, oh, you know, I might not, when it looked like at least towards the end of his playing career, he wasn't able to um, to help him get over the hump. He at least was able to do it in the regular season, or sorry, in a, in a, um, a front office role. That's pretty awesome. I really like that. The passion is so back. The passion is so back. All right, Rachel, should we move on to Carolina beating New York in six? Yeah, I was there. Yeah, so Rachel, you were there. Um, the uh, the Hurricanes, they bested uh, uh, the Islanders. Thank the Lord in heaven that we don't have to watch New York Islanders hockey uh, in the playoffs. Again, no slander to Bo Horvat. We love him. We said that off the top of last podcast, but God, they played just such boring hockey, and now we get to see entertaining stuff. Yeah, but the one thing that I, um, I've also got a piece coming on this, um, because I also went to Rangers Devils Game 5, Um the, it is good for hockey when the three New York metropolitan teams are good and playing in the playoffs because had the Islanders won, we were guaranteed a second New York metropolitan series. And that's awesome. So like, I'll give you an idea. I um, obviously I used to live there. Um, I've spent my fair share of time in New York city. You'd know that mm-hmm. um, the New York Knicks won the playoff series on Thursday night for like the first time, I think in the same years as the Leafs, like it was two decades kind of yeah. thing. When it was the I was same celebration. Walking around Manhattan, I saw more Devils, Islanders and Rangers gear than I did Knicks, Nets gear. And that was the first time where I kind of thought to myself, Ooh, that's, that's different. Like that's really different. And so for me, yes, the Islanders lost, but that rink is one of the loudest buildings I've been in, and I'm including soccer stadiums in that. Like, I've been to World Cup matches. I've been to Champions League finals. I've been to um, El Clasico, which is one of the biggest soccer matches in the world. UBS Arena, the way that that building is built it feels like the seattle seahawks stadium where that noise kind of just like reverberates off the ceiling the building was shaking at multiple points in game six for what was it was an entertaining game but it was like a a low scoring like it wasn't like they were scoring every four and a half seconds the atmosphere in there was insane and so for me, like, I look at this and I'm like, all three New York Metropolitan teams being good at the same time. Yep. Sign me up for that because you look at it. Every single team has at least one star. Um, I got to see Bo, um, which was really nice. Um, even though under the circumstances, he beat that icing call. I went back and watched. He beat that icing call that ended up leading to the Carolina goal, um, which was super tough. Um, but yeah, like it was, I thought that that was, I think it was a closer series. Um than the 4-2 kind of series score dictated. Like, it was pretty even in terms of expected goals, pretty even in terms of of scoring chances. Um, But I thought that at the end of the day, the Islanders were just a little too over-reliant on Ilya Sorokin. Yeah. Um, They were, look, the Islanders play, they you know, this this defensive shutdown sort um, sort of brand of hockey. And if they cannot, if they cannot shut you down, they're not going to outscore you. And... Well, yeah, but you, like, you look at it, and Dobson and Pellick were fantastic in the series. Lee, Horvat, and Nelson from a, a possession dominance kind of thing. And we're talking about Carolina, who is a possession dominant team. They won their matchups. Where the difference was made was the bottom six. We have talked about the disaster that is the Islanders' bottom six. Then you look at Carolina's bottom six that's got guys like Paul Stastny, Yessi Puglia-Yarvi, um, Jesper Faust, like there are guys that just significantly outplayed the Islanders bottom six. And that was a huge difference. Look who scored the series winning goal. Yeah. Right. But I I do think the Islanders have more runway than maybe people think. One, Ilya Sorokin is a problem in the National Hockey League for other teams. Sorokin, Shesterkin, like, their problems for for other teams right so they're going to be good as long as sorokin's good you've got very interested to see what the islanders do moving forward here because 
I'm looking at their like like you look at Elias Sorokin. Um, yeah. He's got he's got one. He's entering the final year of his contract. He's also a bit older than people would think he is. Like you look right. at Elias Sorokin, you think, oh, one of the best young goalies in the league. He's 27. Like he's our age, and we're basically done when it comes to you know achieving <laughs> things in life. Um, but he's he's 27. We know that the that you, we know the perils of signing a goalie long term after you know at the age or after the age of 30. Um, I wonder what happens here because he is such a big part of their team. Um, he's the reason basically they did anything this year. And yet, you know, he's getting up there. He'll be 29 when he's a free agent um, at the end of this, at the end of next season. What do you do with him? I honestly, like, I think it really ha- depends what happens with Matthew Barzell. Um, you've got Bo Horvat locked up. I, th- you've got Noah Dobson. They're obviously going to like, Noah Dobson's one of the best young defensemen in the NHL. I don't think he gets enough attention because of Adam Fox, uh, who's kind of playing in the same city. But you look at it, and the Islanders do have pieces. Like, they do. And the biggest thing is having a a really good goaltender. And Mm -hmm. Ilya Sorokin is that. He's also... I was talking to a couple goalie coaches, and Ilya Sorokin, the style that he plays is not as taxing on the body as the style that somebody like Jonathan Quick plays. So a lot of people actually think that Ilya Sorokin could be good well into his late 30s, potentially, because he's not as hard on his body as some of the other goalies are. And so that's kind of an interesting viewpoint. Let's also not forget that the Islanders have Mitch Korn, who, along with like Ian Clark in Vancouver, probably the best goalie people on this planet. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like, I think the pieces are there. You need a premier goalie, a premier defenseman, and a premier center to be a competitor in this league. Check, check, check. And yep. you've got Bo Horvat at number two. And so like, for me, I think the Islanders do have the pieces. And so it'll be interesting to see kind of where they go from here. I do think that that bottom six kind of needs a makeover and, and, maybe need some updating. Um, But it's hard to argue that they aren't still a good team. Yeah. I don't think you can really argue that. Like they, this is a good team. They might play a boring style of hockey that I detest, but they, that doesn't mean that they're, that they're not a good team. Um, and, And kudos to Carolina. They are, they had every excuse not to win. Like they were banged up, played, you know, a bunch of different goalies. Um, you know, they lost arguably their best player. Um, and then a guy who they were supposed to, you know, have. Yeah, premier score. They lost their two best scores. Like pure scores. And, yeah. and, you know, they came out and they did what needed to be done. They closed them out basically as soon as they could. And yeah, like, like huge kudos to them. Rod Brendamore, um, man, what a coach. He's an incredible coach. Like, he yeah. really is. He is the exact perfect guy for that team. He's the exact perfect guy for, you know, what they need to do. Um, I also love that in his contract negotiation, he basically was like, I'm not signing this until all of my, you know, staff. all of my staff also gets new contracts. Um, it's just great. So, lo- we love to see that. Now, the Oilers, they beat Edmonton in six as well. Um, and no, the, uh, the Oilers did not beat Edmonton or sorry, the Oilers <laughs> beat the, sorry, the Oilers beat the Kings in six, uh, it was a pretty dicey game, you know, five, four, one that was an game. excellent series. Great, great series. Great game, man. Just, just Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, Jack Eichel, all in this, all in, you know, moving on to play more hockey. You love to see it. And, and Leon Dreisaitl being in, the company of Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux is uh, not terrible in not terms terrible of being the all. fastest to 70 playoff points. When your name is uttered in the same breath as those two gentlemen, uh, you're doing something right. And so like, I think the, the difference between the Oilers this year and kind of in years past is they're getting key contributions from other guys. Evan Bouchard has blossomed into a fantastic offensive point-producing defenseman. I would like to personally thank him for making me obscene amounts of money so far this year because betting on him to get an assist is just like extraordinarily profitable, and I love it. Um, But you look at that, key contributions from him, Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, Zach Hyman, 
Kyler Yamamoto, hello. Like, it's not just McDavid and Dreisaitl. And finally, they're getting support from their teammates. And holy moly, should that be alarming for everybody else? Yeah. It, look, they're... The, yeah, the fact that... that Edmonton was able to beat the Kings with McDavid and Drysdale. Yes, playing very good hockey, but you know, not exploding to the like two and a half points per game, you know, rate that they were last season. That's that's very daunting for the rest of the league. I'd say. Well, and they have LA has arguably like the two best defensive centers as a one-two punch with Kopitar and Deneau. And if they could not shut the Oilers down, like with due respect to the Vegas Golden Knights and the Dallas Stars or whomever else, like if they couldn't shut down the Oilers offense, I find it extraordinarily difficult to believe that Jack Eichel and William Carlson are going to shut down that or uh, Rupa Hintz and Jamie Ben. Like mm-hmm. we're talking about two of the premier shutdown centers in the national hockey league and the Oilers found a way to get it done. And if that secondary scoring continues and McDavid and Dreisaitl start seriously deciding to take over, I think we're probably looking at a really long run for the Edmonton Oilers, which, once again, is really good for hockey. Because Connor McDavid is pretty marketable, don't you think? Yeah, well, first of all, we're getting McDavid versus Eichel in the second round of the playoffs. Oh my god, so excited. Which is awesome. (laughs) And, and like, which we never thought would have happened based on the respective, like, where their franchises were for so long. Um, what's what I love about the Edmonton Oilers too, is that they're getting just good enough goaltending. Like, yeah, I would say Stuart Skinner has been playing better than Mike Smith did last year. I think it's pretty clear. And Jack Campbell was absolutely fantastic. Jack Campbell came in and did exactly what he needs to do. But I would say that we're like Stuart Skinner is playing better than, than, than Mike Smith did last year. It's a pretty low bar to clear. So I'd say that. uh, Yeah. He didn't get scored on from, he did give up. And I know it was a broken stick, but he did, but he did give, I know it's a, it was due to a broken stick, but he did give up a Mike Smith esque goal last night with giving Right. But that was like, not like that wasn't necessarily his fault. Whereas like the Mike Smith one last year, (laughs) you you need to be more specific with the Mike Smith one. There was one like every game. Um, All right. The Rasmus Anderson goal was absolutely wild but like they're getting a they're getting better goal than they did last year and keep in mind last year they went to the the conference finals and only bowed out to the most dominant stanley cup winning team we've seen in the cap year uh, yeah like also speaking of that we're gonna talk about colorado next yes um podcast we, when we yeah. know the outcome of that series but um jordan everly should have been suspended and i'm just gonna leave it at that jordan everly should be put in jail <laughs> like <laughs> That's Holy insane. moly. Um, um, all but right, yeah, like I thought, you know what? LA gave them a good run. They had really balanced scoring. Like they didn't really have stars, but I thought they had balanced scoring, whether it was Kempe, Kopitar, Fiala, Arvidsson. Like they got contributions. And the difference in the series, McDavid and Dreisaitl. And generally speaking, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty amazing. All right, let's go to our final series recap here. It's Vegas and uh, Winnipeg. And basically... We can't really talk about this series. Like, like, yeah, you know, they were like Vegas just routinely outplayed Winnipeg. Um, you know, like it, it always seemed like the Jets were on borrowed time. You know, Connor Hellbuck was standing on his head. You can't talk about this series without the Rick Bonus presser after. Um, uh, okay, so like, here, I think you summed it up there. Yeah, Vegas deserved to win. Full stop. Carry on. We're yeah. done here. Do you not find it odd? And like, I'm sure you'll go over the Rick Bonus presser, but do you not find it odd? that this is now, I believe, the third or fourth coach that's talking about this. And also, it's been going on since January. So finding this odd would mean that I would have to be somewhat surprised. And I'm not. Like the, the, the Blake, we all know that the Blake Wheeler, Mark Shifley leadership core of the Winnipeg Jets is toxic. We all know that they, that they are, you know, that, that, that like for them to think that they could have won with that core, it's nonsensical. I don't understand why they would think that. I don't understand what has shown in the last couple of years, pretty much ever since like 2017 when they made that run and then got beat by a first round or, or by a team that ha- didn't exist, you know, a full 12 months before them, uh, before they got knocked out. Um, we, we've known forever that that the Blake, the Blake Wheeler, Mark Scheife leadership core has driven good players out 
Um, it has, it has fostered a really bad locker room. Um, and uh, I don't understand why, why Winnipeg thought they could do anything with this core. And now again, we are seeing a coach just being fed up completely with it. We saw it when Rick bonus did the biggest eye roll in human history. Oh my God. When, when asked about, um, when it's asked the players were giving their all. Yeah. Or no, he was, no, he was asked about, you know, like Mark Shifley's how, how he said a completely like Rick bonus was like, Oh, we gotta, we gotta play more protected with the puck and like, and hold it more. And then Mark Shifley was like, no, we gotta be run and gun. And Rick bonus was asked about that. And he gave the biggest, cause again, it just goes to show Mark Shifley was doing his own thing and not on board um, with them. And then, so Rick bonus basically just comes down. It's just like, our, he, sa- he says not a single lie. No, like, zero does, lies were detected. Zero lies. Like, like he came out and he spoke the truth. And what fa- what I found really interesting is that the only players who like were adamantly vocal about how they didn't like it were Shifley and Wheeler. Because All- Kyle Connor and Connor Hellebuck didn't really seem to have a problem with it. And I like you look at it and Rick Bonus says it's been happening since January. Blake Wheeler goes handle it in the room. And as somebody who has been in the room, um, I'm going to just come out right now and I'm going to say this. If it's been going on since January and we now know that this dressing room has been toxic for years, Rick Bonus and other Paul Maurice and Dave Lowry and Claude Noel before that, coaches say it a good 10 to 15 times in the dressing room before it gets said publicly. Like there are are yelling matches in the dressing room Mm -hmm. before anything is said publicly. So for Rick bonus to do what he did, that tells me that he's been saying it in the room since January. And a few players have just really not been listening. And at that point, what is your next course of action? It's to call them out publicly. So the fact that Rick Bonus did it and that it's been happening since January and that Kyle Connor and Nick Ehlers and Connor Hellebuck didn't really seem to have a problem with it tells me that not only is there a divide between coach and players, there's a divide between players and players. And that brings me to Pierre-Luc Dubois. We Just get rip, out of there. We rip on... Pierre-Luc Dubois and other players for asking out of NHL franchises. But in the workforce, and Mark Dumont pointed this out, if you're in a toxic workplace in a general sense, like you, me, at the bank, whatever, Hmm. nobody holds it against you and thinks you're a traitor if you leave and find another job. So why do we act like this is some sort of referendum on Pierre-Luc Dubois because he wants out of Winnipeg. Well, like, it's because he did it. It's because he did it before, right? But is playing for John Tortorella known to be like the best thing ever either? No, but like it's. I understand why people and and why we would think about that, considering that, like it, like he he forced his way out to come to to Winnipeg, and then you know now after a couple of years where it doesn't it hasn't gone well for him, he goes, oh well, you know, I want I want out of this now. You know, I can understand at least the the, the logic behind it. But yeah, no, you're right. Like, he's not a traitor. And Pierre-Luc Dubois, like, has been pretty good for Winnipeg. Like, I mean, he's been better for Winnipeg than Patrick Laine has been for Columbus. And and so for me, like, I look at it and I go, with all we know about the dressing room, I can't really blame Pierre-Luc Dubois or Connor Hellebuck or Nikolai Ehlers or Kyle Connor for having the emotions and feelings that they do. So where does where does Winnipeg go from here? They they got the core. They they trade Pierre Luc Dubois to Montreal to just get him to shut up and let him go there, and then they 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 try and find anyone who will, who will take Blake Wheeler. Um, and I think and Mark Shifley and Mark no like Mark Shifley should be the first guy who goes. Mark Shifley right, to me your core now is Josh Morrissey, Kyle Connor, and Nikolai Ehlers. And what do they do with Connor? And Cole Hellebuck? Perfetti, sorry. And Cole Perfetti. Yeah. Blake Wheeler's got one more year left on his deal. Shifley's got one year left on his deal. Shifley Niederreiter. Uh Niederreiter's got one year left on his deal. You know, like like you you can get rid of those guys. I think it's time to 
I think the most valuable player in terms of expiring deal. Like I think you could see Kirby Doc come back to Winnipeg in a in a pure loop Dubois trade. The decision is Connor Hellebuck because if you keep Hellebuck, your contending window is open. Right. And I think because of where Cole Perfetti is and because they have so many young players, I actually think that might be the right choice. You just get rid of Shifley, Dubois, and Wheeler, like if you can. You need to get rid of at least two of them. But because of all of the other pieces that seem to be meshing well and where they're at age wise, I think you can actually have one of those quote unquote retools because Winnipeg has drafted so well. But oh my goodness, if you trade Connor Hellebuck, you should be getting a King's ransom. I think I think you can get a lot for Blake or not Blake Wheeler. Uh, I think you can get a lot for um, Mark Shifley. Yes, I think like, you can too. Like this is a guy who, you know, yeah, for all his flaws, is still only making, I believe it's yeah, 6.125 million. You know, he's 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 proven he can be a good offensive player. And if you get another coach who's able to tell him to, Hey, at least try a little bit on defense. It could maybe work. <laughs> make an attempt, make just some so- sort of attempt. I I think it would be smart. Like we all know that the bonus is coming back next year. Um, that's what uh, Kevin Shevelday announced that. And Connor Hellebuck has said like his only goal now, like, like he's like, he doesn't care about anything else. His only goal is to, um, is to win a Stanley cup. And I don't think he resigns in one of because I don't think they have the ability to show him that that is a legitimate possibility in the time frame that he is. He knows that 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 in the time frame that he wants to accomplish it, and he knows that the he know, he knows that his time's running out. He's thirty years old. He doesn't yeah. have he doesn't have you know you know infinite or he's twenty nine. He's going to be thirty before next season. He doesn't have infinite you know number of years left of his prime. No matter how good you think he is, no matter how good you think he's going to continue. And to be. he's had some wear and tear because of how the how team much they leaned on him. him plays. Yeah, how much they they've leaned on him. How much has been placed on his shoulders. So he is. Uh, yeah, I don't I, know. I could see um, them getting something from for Mark Shifley. But if you look at how like what Winnipeg has right. They've got the guys in the lineup already. Then you've got young Cole Perfetti, who, when he's healthy, is really, really good. Josh Morrissey, Dylan Sandberg. Um, Then you've got young guys coming. Rutger McGrory, Brad Lambert. Like, Winnipeg's done a really, really good job of drafting. Um, They're obviously not a free agent hotspot because it's minus a billion there in the winter. Mm -hmm. I understand that. But they've done a great job of using the tools available to them to make their team good. And so I look at that and I say, if you can get a legitimate piece back in a Pierre-Luc Dubois deal and in a Mark Shifley deal, that is now, not only have you removed at least one toxic piece from your dressing room, but you've now added pieces that you believe can be positive and add to what you already have. So I don't think it's as difficult as maybe it's being made out to be. But the problem with that is Kevin Shoveldayoff moves at the pace of a glacier mm-hmm. and he needs to put a little gasoline in that tank and maybe step on that gas pedal a little more firmly this summer if he wants to get the Jets kind of flipped right around in the way that the Dallas Stars kind of did it. Yeah. I think so. Like they, there, there is an ability to, yeah, to, to do a retool if you want to call it. Um, but man, like it, like it's, I, I think regardless of what happens, you have to know that this, like the, the core and that's Blake Wheeler and, uh, and Mark Shifley, the two people who have been the leader, the quote unquote leadership core, um, they're gone. They have to, they got to go. They have yeah. to. And I think that there's no, there's no other way to, to really, do it like there's no other way that, like if they move forward and they try and grind this out for another year they give purely they Dubois. have to retain on wheeler more than likely to trade him and yeah. frankly retain retain 50 percent. just retain but it would be the worst thing in the world to just be like all right we're running it back you know we got uh uh you know like what we're gonna give pld his qualifying offer and say we're not trading it so he basically has to accept it you know we're gonna we're gonna get you know mark shifley and blake wheeler and connor hellebuck and you know Niederreiter in the final years of their deals, um, and we're just gonna you know last dance for a team that's won nothing. 
Um, and uh, like that, and then eventually what? Have them all walk for free? No, like at least get some assets for them right now. And yeah, uh, like if Tampa wants to do a last dance, fine. You they know what? That's allowed. <clears throat> That's allowed. Winnipeg, uh, no. no, you're not allowed to do that. It's the same. Like when people were calling this year the the last dance for the Leafs, I'm like, they haven't earned that moniker. They haven't won yeah. anything. They've literally not won a series. What do you yeah. think? Last dance of what? They have now. Hey. So, and yeah. thank God, because honestly, <laughs> I was talking about this with one of my friends. Mark Shifley is who everyone's uncle thinks William Nylander is. Oh, yeah. Without like, a doubt. That's, that is what that is. If if Mark Shifley was Swedish and William Nylander was Canadian, we would not even be having this discussion. And here's the thing. William Nylander is Canadian. He was born in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Like, by extreme definition, he is, by birthright, a Canadian. And so, like, I think, thank gosh, that that narrative's going to get put to bed. But Mark Shifley, it'll be interesting to see because wherever he gets traded to, like, he's not going to be the big dog. And how does he handle that? How does that impact things? But I agree with you. Wheeler and Shifley have to go. Um, Pierre-Luc Dubois for, like, a different reason. If Pierre-Luc Dubois wanted to stay in Winnipeg, you obviously keep Pierre-Luc Dubois. Um, but he doesn't want to. And so I think this team needs to be fully turned over to Ehlers, Connor and Morrissey, like all the way over. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way that the, the jets are going to be able to do that retool. Yeah. All right, Rachel. Well, I think that's all we have to talk about. The Leafs are, they're in the second round. By the time we talk to you next, uh, we will likely know the fates of all these other series. Um, so be and great. we'll break those down too. And we will. So I hope you guys had a lot of fun um, and uh, and continue listening because it'll be great. We get to cover second round hockey in Toronto. This is going to be a lot of fun. All right. Peace out.